Now, in time allots, we do go to the proverb of the day. I just feel like it's really need to give you a balanced diet. We'll give you a little bit of proverbs, and then we'll go into our New Testament study. So turn to pretty much the center of the Bible and find Proverbs 10. It's to the right of Psalms. Proverbs 10, three verses, starting with verse 15. It says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The rich man's wealth is his, is his strong city. And this is oftentimes in the natural and the observable world what the rich man relies on, his wealth, his stocks, his retirement, uh, all the things that he has uh, so that when he gets older and can't work, he's taken care of, his real estate, all that kind of stuff. But the destruction or the, the destruction of the poor is their poverty. And again, this is in the observable world. Uh, poverty is a destroyer of the poor. If you're poor, you can't eat properly. If you're poor, you may not have good access to health care. If you're poor, and you can go on and on with that. But understand that we're talking about the natural world, the observable world. There's also a spiritual element to this. And this is cool because our New Testament study is going to show the difference between the natural, temporal observable flesh and bones world versus the spiritual realm in the spiritual realm let's turn this around a little bit the rich man the rich man who's generous and a godly man is not going to rely on his wealth he's going to do business with it he's going to be generous with that wealth but god is going to be his rock and his strong tower the poor man poverty doesn't destroy a poor man who's very strong in the lord and actually it's a great testimony somebody who's obviously poor and they're joyful and they're happy and I've seen folks like this well, what is it about you I have the joy of the Lord it's a great testimony the poverty is not something that drags me down so you see how things change in the spiritual realm verse 16 the labor of the righteous leads to life and we see that one who God has designed man to work and for thousands of years before we got into the industrial society and the computer revolution for thousands of years men and women worked the fields it was mostly agrarian societies fishing communities etc but god designed a man to work it says all the way back in genesis by the sweat of your brow you will produce food from the ground and it's a good thing for your health a man to get out there for your heart health right it's good for a man's dignity and certainly good for savings later on now, I talk to missionaries who are out in these different continents and cultures, uh, and they tell me that the women still, you go outside of the United States, the women do just as much, if not more work than the men. And they don't have the modern technology and the, and the, the medicine and stuff that we have, but they live long, healthy lives and often pain-free. So um, having all the good things and, and being blessed with material things is not always a good thing. But an honest, an honest day's work is good to God. And we see that over and over through the Proverbs. The second part of that, the wages of the wicked lead to sin. Now we know that the wages of sin is death, the book of Romans tells us. But the wicked use their money and their wages for bad things. They don't know God. They're in rebellion against God. Uh, they may use their money or their wages for illegal activity, for self-destructive activity, or things that harm others. So a lot of stuff is self-explanatory. And then the last verse, 17, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life. 
He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. This is the person that's humble. The one who's open to instruction does well in life. And the Bible, we know, is the instruction manual. So certainly the man or the woman who opens themselves up to correction or teaching from the Bible is going to do well in life. And the last verse that we're going to cover is, but he who refuses reproof goes astray. And there's an alternate translation that changes the nuance of the meaning a little bit, and I'll cover that. But he who refuses reproof goes astray. We see this in Proverbs 9, that the wise man receives instruction. We'll thank you for that instruction and correction, and he'll be even wiser. But the foolish man will scoff at you. You try to tell a foolish man what to do or lovingly correct him or lead him in a certain way, he'll, he'll scoff at you, and he'll become even more foolish. We've seen this over and over again, the know-it-all, the prideful. You know, it's not good. And not only do they go astray, but they lead others astray, right? We see that misery loves company. If I'm going to ruin my life, let me take as many people with me as I can. Let's all do it together. And you see that. Okay. Let's fast forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Last time we were together, we covered the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to see the Apostle Paul bring heavenly wisdom to the Corinthians. He tells them what he came to do. He tells them where their roots were. And he also shows us the difference between the natural and the spiritual realms, starting with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in context, if you weren't here last week and the introduction to this book, the Corinthian church, right? They were a group of believers in a very uh, decadent society, a very wealthy society, a lot of vices in that society. So certainly it was a challenge to put a bunch of believers and start a church in Corinth. But the Corinthians were gifted they were talented. They were lifted up with pride. And the Apostle Paul is trying to get them back to earth, back to basics, guys. It's the message of the cross. It's not the world's wisdom. The Corinthians were impressed with uh, the, the believers in Corinth, were impressed as the non-believers in Corinth with the intellect, with the, the Greeks built a whole society over intellect and human abilities. And that started to flood into the church. And Paul's trying to correct that. Now, the Apostle Paul here is very humble because we know through the scripture that the Apostle Paul might have been a genius based on what we read. Here's a guy who was a Pharisee. He was on the who's who list of the teachers of the law in that society. He, was, he had the best education. He was a Roman citizen. Not everybody was a Roman citizen. There were special privileges to being a Roman citizen. He certainly probably got a great education because... He was from Tarsus, and history books will tell us that there was one of the greater universities in Tarsus. No doubt he studied there. We know that the Apostle Paul studied under Gamaliel, who was a revered teacher. If you Google his name, even secular sources revere Gamaliel, the, the great teacher. I believe the Apostle Paul really had to humble himself to come 
not with his ability, but with the simple message of God. It's just my opinion, but I think the Apostle Paul may even have had a type A personality. He certainly was a go-getter in life. He certainly just loved to just keep doing for the Lord, to just keep blessing the Lord and plowing in his fields, knowing that his time was short. We can look at Calvary Chapel, started in, I believe it was the 60s, um, 50s or 60s. But before Calvary Chapel in this country, if you didn't have seminary, nobody would sit under you. You had to have this great teaching as a pastor, and as long as your, the little letters after your name preceded you and they were well enough, people would come to hear you. But Calvary Chapels changed everything. One man's vision to give the simple word of the, go- uh, of the gospel. You know, the hippies were told if you don't have a shirt and you come in barefoot, you can't come in the church. Chuck Smith said, no, let them all come in. We want them to hear the word. We don't care how they look. It's about what they're receiving. But there's a big change in our society. We're finding a lot of the younger folks are going back to the seminaries and going back to the higher educations and the 20 and 30-somethings of Christians are really uh, hitting this stuff pretty hard. Now, I'm not saying and neither is Paul, that education is a bad thing. I learned Greek as a pastor. I didn't know Greek before that. It was all Greek to me. <laughs> but as a pastor, I learned Greek. And the reason why I did it was not so I could impress anybody, but it was a, it was a tool, another tool in the shed to help explain the Bible. But I don't need Greek. I just need the message of the cross, like the Apostle Paul says. When we get too big-headed about our abilities, we miss the point. Remember the disciples? Any scholars among the disciples, the 12? I don't remember any of them. Mostly fishermen and basically what we would call blue-collar guys. Jesus used them, right? And even Paul, the genius that he was, he divested himself of himself to be used by God. Verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul came to Corinth humble and possibly exhausted. As we went through the book of Acts, if you were with us, it was a lot. It was a lot emotionally. It was a lot physically. There were different diseases you could have contracted. And, you know, being on the ship and, you know, time differences and all that stuff. um, I believe physically Paul was, was humbled. He might have even been sick when he visited the Corinthians. But also spiritually. He also handled God's word very respectfully. You see, when God, when we're in a humble state and God does great things through us, we can say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. By myself, what am I? I'm just another person. But when we humble ourselves, when God uses us, he gets all the glory. Verse 4. He says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul didn't come to Corinth as many of the itinerant preachers and philosophers. What I love about the scripture is whenever I do a new book, I always look into the history. This is 2,000 years ago, roughly. So I got to know what was the culture at the time. And when I explain it to you, it helps the book come alive more. What you had was in those days, you had itinerant uh, folks, whether preachers or philosophers, they would travel city to city, sort of like snake oil salesmen in the, in the American frontier, right? 
And they would come through and they, would, they were great orators, great philosophers, and they would extract a fee for their wares. And uh, that's how they made their living. Some of the preachers did that too. They said, hmm, the philosophers are doing it. We could do that too. So now the gospel was for sale. But Paul says, listen, I didn't come like these guys and I didn't come to take your money. I came to love you and give you the message of the cross of salvation. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul came to Corinth with the message of the cross and birthed a church in this pagan, debauched area with the message of the cross at Corinth, proving to them and to us in our day that our faith shouldn't be in man, but in the power and spirit of God. Zechariah 4, 6, I love that. The second part of it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's the way it's going to get done. The more we learn, we have a tendency, all of us, you're good at your job, you're, you're high-minded, you, you like to you know, take on more mental challenges. We tend to try to rely on ourselves and our abilities, but they're only ancillary tools. They're subordinate to what God has. Understand this, that we will never intellectualize anyone into the kingdom. I used to try that. It doesn't work. You know, it's the arguments and the debates, and I'm going to trump you, and then you're going to, it becomes a debate. It doesn't, there's no spirit in there, you see? And I've learned through time that it's through the simple message of God, by just praying and asking the Lord, just use me. Whatever comes out of my mouth, it's got to be your words, Lord. And stop getting into, we have to start trumping each other. And understand this too, that um, Chuck Smith was another one of his stories. He talked about he was invited as a pastor years ago to this forum, like this atheism versus um, you know, creation forum. And he would go back and forth with these guys. And he found that it wasn't getting anywhere until he finally just said, they said, do you want to say anything else, Pastor Smith? He goes, I just want to tell you, I have so much joy and peace in my life. And that was the thing that hit them. And afterwards, they started asking him questions. All these great scientists, are you serious? You really have peace? Yeah. And he explained the simple message of the cross and led some of them to Christ. Pretty impressive. But even today's church, even today's world, look at the last election. Oh, the world is so enamored by oration and charisma and mental and verbal skills, right? And sad to say that even in the church, the tendency in the American church is toward oration charisma, personality, the uber church. How many of you heard about the uber church? You know, they have the, the light shows and the, and the fancy equipment. And some of these guys actually have churches, big churches. And instead of raising up 15 or 20 good godly men to be pastors, they, they start these satellite churches and they pump their image via cable feed to these other churches. So it's a humanless church with somebody's image. And they're Christian churches. I got a problem with that. It's all fancy, it's all sharp, it's all scintillating, but there's no message of the cross. I could just imagine coming out of one of those churches. So what did you learn? I don't know, but you should have seen the light show. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> but you've heard on the mission field, we've had three successive missionaries the last three weeks. And what you've, ha what you've seen is folks in uh, Korea, in countries in Africa that read a verse or a page, or a chapter, and got saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Americans need to be entertained, but over there, all they need to see is a little bit of God's Word. There was um, Hamas, uh, one of the greater Hamas leaders. His son is in the United States. 
seeking asylum. He got saved by reading one verse in the, in the gospel. And they wanted to kill him. They wanted to be a big Muslim leader, right? He's here in the States now. Started reading the word. He's a changed man. From terrorist to born-again Christian. Imagine that. Just with a verse or two. Very impressive. Verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, for our glory, excuse me, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When the Apostle Paul, he says, we, you know, he doesn't say me, 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 I. He says we. He considered his brothers who were with him, who supported him, we. We did it together. He didn't go to take, he wasn't a glory hound. He was more than happy to spread it around. We came to you, and, and this is what happened. But when they came and spoke, they spoke wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God. And we're going to see a lot of parallels, and I didn't do this on purpose, to the James study. If you were here for the James study, a lot of these concepts, you could just see how the, the Word of God, and I've said this before, the different books, Old Testament, New Testament, are woven like a tapestry, like a mosaic, and they, and they paint the beautiful picture all taken together. But James spoke about the sensual or the earthly wisdom versus the heavenly wisdom. And he said, the, the weightier things of the Lord were to mature believers. Verse 6, we speak wisdom among those mature not everyone who reads God's word is mature enough to act on it and discern it. It's really a choice that every believer must make. Do we want to just walk as infants as believers? We come to the cross, and that is awesome. Our names are written in the book of life. But some believers stay infants their whole earthly life. We just, we're just on the milk of the word. It's, we know very simple things. But others, and it's a choice that we make. Do I want to grow in the things of God? Do I want to move from milk to solid food to meat of the word and learn the awesome, deeper things of the Lord? Again, not to make us intellectuals, but just to learn more of, of God's heart, more of his mind. And it's a choice that we make. And many don't make that choice because it will mean persecution. It may mean losing friends. It may mean losing um, babyish, immaturish, worldly, and carnal ways as believers. And the question we all have to ask ourselves is, do we want to yearn for the deeper things of God? You see, God won't waste his treasures on those who can't use it. That whole picture of don't throw pearls before swine, and I know the context that Jesus used it in, but just picture a big fat pig wallowing in the mud, right? And you come and you have corn in your hand. That pig's going to love you. He's, she or he is going to eat that corn out of your hand. Now you come with pearls, priceless pearls. It could buy the pig all the corn it wants. It could buy the pig all mud baths with servants mudding up the pig and giving it facials and stuff. And you go to give that pig those pearls and he takes a few sniffs and a few bites, breaks his tooth. He's coming after you. Jesus said that pig will turn and come after you. And the pig doesn't realize. It just wants corn. It just wants simple things. It doesn't realize how much those pearls can do for that pig. And God, you know, even Paul speaks about this. We spoke these things, wisdom, among mature believers because the infantile believer is not going to get it. They can't use it. They don't know what to do with it. And he also says, because the wisdom and rulers of this age are coming to nothing. They're doomed, as the Apostle Paul states. So why follow the wisdom of the world? You know, there's, 
there was a great um, illustration that a pastor made about crossroads. That was the title of his, his sermon. And he said, every believer, every person goes through crossroads. We're on a road, and everything's fine. All of a sudden, there's an intersection. And you've got to turn. Which way do you want to turn? That's our lives as believers, too. Every once in a while, we run into an, a choice, an intersection. And we have to make a decision which way we're going to turn onto that road. But in Paul's day... The Roman emperors, many thought that they would live forever. I believe that the Roman Empire in its infancy started roughly 750 BC. So the Roman Empire was around a long time. Many thought, eh, the emperors will be here forever. Not true. In our day, we look at the United States, great country. It really is the leader, and many countries follow us in many ways. The president, the senators, they're not going to be here all the time either. And there's so much bickering and things going on in the political world, it's, ama it's amazing anything ever gets done. But certainly, the powers and the rulers are also, if you know Ephesians 6, the demonic entities that are manipulating, like marionettes, some of these leaders, right? And listen, if you're a leader, there's a pride issue there. And many of these leaders probably said, if not overtly, but in their minds, I would sell my soul to the devil if I could be a senator or a president or a king, right? And don't think that somebody's not listening and is willing to oblige them. And then all of a sudden they go, they, they just turn. Their life takes a turn for the worse. So there's definitely demonic entities who are pulling the strings of people and certainly those in high places, all right? Verse 7, he says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Well, the wisdom of God in the Old Testament was an enigma, but it was revealed in the New Testament, and much of it was revealed via the cross and via God's apostles. And these plans and the plan of the cross and salvation was ordained in the beginning. God knew it was going to happen. So he had this plan to redeem mankind, and it was a very loving plan. Verse 8, if the rulers of this age had known God's mysteries, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, there's two layers to this. There's a temporal layer and there's a spiritual layer number one in jesus day the temporal leaders pontius pilate the religious leaders the emperors right if those folks knew who jesus really was they wouldn't have crucified him as a matter of fact pontius pilate's wife came before he was crucified and, and sent to, to her husband have nothing to do with that man jesus i have suffered incredible things in a dream and Pilate tried to, he literally, that's where we get the term, he washed his hands of Jesus and said, if you want to crucify, and he still had culpability. But he, you know, I think he was starting to get an inkling of who Jesus was. But if the uh, temporal leaders really knew, concrete, who Jesus was, they, they would have been afraid to crucify him. Second, again, let's look at things in the spiritual realm. The demonic forces controlling these leaders at the time. They thought that getting rid of Jesus, you know, I'm sure the demonic entities thought, hey, this is great. We're finally going to get rid of the Son of God. He's been tormenting us for three, three years, and we're going to send him to the cross through the people that we're manipulating. If they would have known that through the cross, through resurrection, there was forgiveness of sins for mankind and everlasting life, they wouldn't have pushed those earthly leaders to crucify him. Now, this brings up some good questions. First question is, okay, Joe, I hear what you're saying. Does that mean that Satan doesn't know the future? Well, I'm, I would say, yes, Satan doesn't know the future. God knows the future. But clearly, Satan is good at extrapolation. That's a scientific term, basically saying that you try to figure out an unknown through knowns. Understand? Through 
observable things through the scripture, Satan is pretty good at trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future, but he's, he's not exact. That's why the Bible says in the Old Testament that a true prophet of God makes 100% accuracy predictions. So you go to the supermarket, you see the inquirer, Jean Dixon's predictions, what is she good at? 40, 50% maybe if she's good. She's not a prophet of God. She doesn't have that power from God because God's people will prophesy 100% things to come to pass because he knows the future. Verse 9, and this is often quoted, but it is written, Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This is taken from Isaiah 64 and had contextual meaning to the prophet Isaiah, but it's also for the believer now and also for the, the believer in fulfillment or fulfilled glory, future glory. We should really stop and meditate on what this means. I've heard this quoted so many times, but let's start with the future and walk, work backwards. Number one, imagine the best thing in your mind now, give you a moment, the best thing that you could imagine about heaven. Just your idea of what it's going to look like, who's going to be there, how it's going to feel, um, maybe some of the things that God has prepared for you. You get to take a rest, right? Uh, it's really good stuff. Imagine all those things in your mind. Now I'm here to tell you that that thought is paltry. Not paltry, paltry, maybe paltry too, compared to what God has for you. The things that we can imagine, oh, I and I even did this um, Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven, really good book. We studied Revelation, we talked about heaven. E even reading black and white you know, words on a page doesn't do heaven justice, doesn't do what God has prepared for us justice in the end. That's how awesome it's going to be. I I'm sure that no matter how great we think it is, when we get there, we're going to be like, whoa, this is so great. And I think we will be excited like little kids. But men and women today fight over money, over relationships, over success. But the world's trophies do not compare what God has waiting for those who love him. Second point, so we were in the future fulfillment, now let's go to the present. God wants to impart to you and you and you and me, he wants to impart his wisdom, his understanding, his comfort, his encouragement to us now. The only problem is if we're filled with ourselves, okay, it's not going to work. We have to empty, divest ourselves of ourselves for him to fill us with his, his beautiful things. We must decide if we want to be immature believers and run with the world, or we want to yearn for the deeper things of God. And again, it's a decision we all must make on our own. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. God has revealed his mysteries and has given us his wisdom. They are there for the taking when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon conversion. They are available to us. And again, let's go back to James again. James in first chapter 1. 
He says, do any of you need wisdom? Ask, and God will give it liberally. He's dying to give us his wisdom. It's there for the asking. A lot of us don't ask. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I actually pray, part of my prayer life is, Lord, I know there's plenty of things that are coming around the corner to get me. <laughs> and every once in a while it happens. I pray in my prayer life, Lord, give me the wisdom now so that when it comes, I can figure it out. I'm, just, I'm asking for wisdom in advance because I need it, right? I need it. The Spirit searches the deep things of God and the Holy Spirit knows God's mysteries, God's thoughts, His wisdom, because the Holy Spirit is God. That's how the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. He is God. Unregenerate man, not born again of the Spirit of God, knows only the things pertinent to the natural, fleshly man, and that's it. And what do I mean by that? In John chapter 3, a religious leader comes to Jesus, and he talks about, you know, he, he, he came to him at night, Nicodemus, and wanted to know spiritual things. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you were born again. Now, when we hear that term born again, unfortunately, it's been abused over the time. You may not know somebody who said they were born again, was leading a double life or a church that went wacky, but the term born again, in its essence, comes from John chapter 3, meaning... We need, when we receive Christ, when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we repent of our sins, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are born of water and the Spirit, the Bible says. That's what it means to be born again. Um, in September 30th of 1967, I was born physically from my mother's womb. That was my birthday. But later on in life, I was born again spiritually. And that's really the more important birthday. We celebrate the birthday that we were born physically, but when we're born again spiritually, that's really the most important thing. Our spirits become regenerative. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is sealed inside of us, and bam, we're on the road to eternal life, which is really great. It's only through being born again and receiving Christ can a person have the opportunity to know all things. So now you're, you're a fleshly person, right? And you know fleshly things, because you've been around 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So you know the things of the flesh, you've lived with yourself, you understand yourself and the things around you, and that's it. You become born again. Now not only do you understand the fleshly world, but you understand the spiritual realm, so you know all things. The man who's not born again only knows the things of the flesh. Verse 10, it says the spirit, I like this, the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The word for deep in the Greek is bathos, well, of course, we think of bath, but better than that, there's two words. If you're involved in uh, deep sea diving or anything like that, two instruments, a bathometer and a bathyscaphe. And these two instruments have a, a, an extreme depth component. They go real down deep into the water and they do what they need to do, whether they measure the depth or they, uh, it's that bubble that comes down. But there's a, a depth component to us. And I understand this, the, the deep things of God, the storehouses of goodies that God has for us, his plans for us, his thoughts, his promises, his wisdom. Do you want to know the deep things of God? I certainly do. I don't want to stop learning the deep things of God. Because, it, first of all, it brings me more peace, no matter what's going on. It gives me a greater understanding of myself, my family, and the world around me. The deep things of God. You know... Sometimes as adults, we could get a little crusty. 
you could imagine 18 years in law enforcement that I might be a little bit jaded. Maybe things I've seen as a Christian make me even more jaded, right? And as adults, we become hardened. We become callous. We become defensive because we have to protect ourselves, right? You know, when the disciples, and, and we act that way, we behave on those feelings. When the disciples were bickering, they kind of got like that a little bit. Who's going to be the greatest? John, James, John, Peter, Matthew. Well, I'm going to be Jesus' general. Well, when he takes over Rome, I'm going to be his sword bearer. And they're all bickering and, and arguing about who's going to be the greatest disciple. I could just imagine Jesus going and walking away. He finds a kid, the Bible says, a little kid, picks him up, walks right into the midst of the disciples, it says, and he sets the child in the midst of them. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you were converted to be like this, this child, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What a picture there. And I'll just give you another quick example. Every day, um, every Sunday after service, when a particular family is here, there's a little girl. And she just, in the hallway, she runs up to me. Maybe you guys have seen this. And there's a lot of kids. I love dealing with the kids. They're so neat. But the little girl just wraps her arms around me, puts her head in my belly, and closes her eyes while her parents are talking to me. And then when they're done talking, they say, come on, let's go home. See, children are trusting, right? We have to be like children in our hearts. We need to trust God. Children are eager. Children are excited. Children aren't jaded. Children aren't racist, you see? Their little blank slates are pure. Of course, they sin. If you have one long enough, you'll notice that. But children, God, Jesus says you got to be like a child. And I could just picture if God said to me today, Joe, after service, we have an appointment. I'm taking you, like Paul, to the third heaven. I'm going to show you my throne room. I tell you what, this would be a very short service. <laughs> I say, come on, God, let's go. I would be eager, excited. I would go up there and look at everything and go, oh, God, what's this? What's that? We need to be like children again. We need to really yearn for the deeper things of God. It's so important. Put away the adult the, the jadedness, the, the, the crustiness, the, the defensiveness. Put it all away and just yearn for the deeper things of God. That's really important. Verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. As Paul lays out the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man, um, the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. Uh, how could he? He doesn't have that component to his life. So, the see, and when you try to talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord, and you try to talk to them about the Bible, Sometimes we get frustrated. Hey, I get it. Why don't they get it? Because their spirit's not regenerated. You need to pray that the Lord gets a hold of their heart and regenerates that person. But the good news is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you give them the scripture, it's going to do something inside of them spiritually. But sometimes we get frustrated because you love that person. And that's hopefully what it's motivated by. The person who doesn't get the things of God, you love them. But there is a frustration element. It's been years. How come they don't get it yet? Because it's right here. They don't have that spiritual component yet. Their spirit needs to be quickened, and it's not. So, you know, maybe try to understand this a little better. The natural man trying to understand spiritual things is like me trying to understand firsthand what it's like to be a teenage girl. I've never been a teenage girl. To my knowledge, I'll never be a teenage girl. So I can't understand what a teenage girl's experience is. 
because I don't get it. That's the same thing with the natural and the spiritual. He doesn't get it. A component's not there in his life. But when we're born again, we cross over to the other side. Verse 15, he who is spiritual judges all things. We can, un- un- we can understand everything because we now have the capacity to possess God's wisdom. And James' study, again, says it's given liberally. The discernment now comes into play. You see, there's another element to this. The Bible, even discernment of the spirits is a spiritual gift. And it's not hokey or weird, but it's a spiritual sense that you have. You can start discerning situations. Maybe you can discern something's not right. Maybe you can discern a wolf in sheep's clothing and no no one else is getting that. So discernment comes into play. And discernment is the ability to view beneath the facade of life and the facade and the masks that people wear and to see things as they really are. That's a really neat gift to have. What can we say, though, about a Christian who is carnal and worldly and idolatrous and continues to live a self and others destructive life? The Bible is clear that there are two types of Christians, and he's going to ramp it up in the next chapter. There's the unbeliever, there's the believer who's mature, and there's the believer who's carnal. We'll talk more about that next week. The Spirit teaches us, the Bible says. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. And now we have access to wisdom of the one who no one can instruct. It says it right here. He wrote the book, so to speak. That was a commercial, I think, for Bell Atlantic. We wrote the book. Well, the truth is that God wrote the book. We have the mind of Christ. This Holy Spirit teaches us. And God wrote. It's his. And no one can instruct him. And why can't anyone instruct God? Because he's prideful? No, because he knows it all. There's nothing new that we can teach God. He's got that foreknowledge, right? And this is available to everyone here. And really what it comes down to is Galatians 5. We either walk in the spirit or we walk in the flesh. And as believers, sometimes we walk in the flesh. And hopefully more than that, we walk in the spirit. It's a choice that we make. So you and I now know that we have wealth. Wealth that we sometimes don't even know that we have. Believers sometimes go through life as spiritual paupers, in a sense, and they don't have to. Kind of reminds me of the illustration of the poor person who's barely eking out a living, right? And a relative dies and leaves them an incredible inheritance in the form of paper stock certificates. And the person, the executor or the lawyer, comes to the house and says, Mr. Jones, this was all left for you. And they put the paper down in a big stack worth billions And the poor person looks at that, cannot discern how valuable that is, and says, thank God, I now find, I just was running out of toilet tissue. Okay? Here is something that's so valuable, and this person is using it dishonorably because they don't realize the value of those stock certificates. You and I, if we're born again, have the wisdom of God at our disposals for the taking We have the ability to discern God's word and feed the spiritually hungry who are hungry for the bread of life, whether they know it or not. We have the ability to look at the confusion of the world and make sense of it. We have the ability to use wisdom to make a real difference in this world and further God's inevitable kingdom of heaven. It's coming. Whether the world wants it or not, God's kingdom of heaven is coming. And we can be a part of that. We can be a part of that plan if we so choose. So I would ask, let's ask, and let's be worthy of the wisdom that God gives so liberally. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom.